0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, can the Liberals pass two remaining priority bills before the Christmas break? We'll find out during our weekly political roundup with former Toronto Star journalist Richard Brennan. Why are some still suffering from what is known as long COVID? And Also, Jerry Dias will join us to discuss being appointed as the province's new head of the auto task force. And the Ontario government plans to announce changes to the province's proof of vaccination system today. What can we expect? It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. Time for our weekly roundup of what's happening in federal and provincial politics, because it was an action-packed week on both levels. And uh, to do that, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program our good friend, of course, Richard Brennan, a former journalist for the Toronto Star, who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for uh, so many years. Badger, great to have you back with us. Hope you're doing well these days.
1: Good, Bill. Where do we begin today? There's so much going on.
0: Well, you know what, I want to start with uh, with uh, Aaron O'Toole and, and a rather controversial piece of legislation uh, that's in the news again, of course, and uh, that's the uh, the Bill 21, uh, the, the anti-religious symbols bill, essentially, and uh, you know, that reared its ugly head earlier this week uh, when a teacher was removed from the classroom uh, in Quebec because they were wearing hijab. And of course, they asked the leaders all about this, and uh, Aaron O'Toole said he continues to personally oppose the controversial secularism law. But he says this is just an issue for the province to decide. Here's what the leader of the uh, Conservatives had to say.
2: Secularism is a debate that's been underway in Quebec for probably the last 15 to 20 years, and it's for the National Assembly of Quebec to decide. But I can rest assured that uh, federally we would never apply a bill like this uh, on a federal jurisdiction.
0: So here's one of many questions I guess I've got on this one. The law is racist. Uh, The courts have even said it's racist. The only reason it's still in effect in Quebec is because they invoked the notwithstanding clause. Uh, The prime minister says he's opposed to it. Uh, Aaron O'Toole says he's opposed to it. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is opposed to it. Uh, But nobody seems to want to touch it. I mean, is is Quebec that important right now that they just don't want to create any waves? Because that seems to be the underlying reason why these guys just don't want to get involved in this debate.
1: Oh, it is. That, you know, none of them are, uh, you know, they're all afraid to condemn it. And, uh, you know, they'll dance around as they usually do with Quebec and, and and not say anything that might offend anybody or offend the leaders. Instead of coming out and saying, you know, this is wrong and Quebec should, you know, should give it up and, and, and move on. But no, they won't because they know it would uh, be a huge political expense if they did, which is too bad because, you know, you would expect our federal leaders to denounce a law like this, but uh, they they'll they'll whinge and and you know speak with uh, you know speak out of both sides of their mouth on it, but uh, will not come out and say you know this is this is bad.
0: And I get where Mr. O'Toole is coming from here. You know, he's trying to go back to that safe place and say, well, that's a provincial law. It's a provincial jurisdiction. But where do you draw that line then? I mean, you know, if they said, okay, we're not going to allow black people in, in elementary schools in Quebec, I mean, that's a, a ridiculous example. But I mean, if they did, uh, would they say, oh, well, that's a provincial jurisdiction? At some point, you have to say enough is enough.
1: It's a cop out, Bill. There's no other way to describe it. It's just simply a cop out. They. They know the risk, political risk, is too great to comment on it, and it's too bad. You would think that they would have the courage to do so. I mean, they'll come out and say, you know, I personally feel that's bad and all that stuff. You know, come out and condemn it and say it's wrong. Nobody should have to, you know, live under those kind of rules anywhere in this country, but they won't. And it's it's, Uh, you uh, know they're they're, you know a, a bunch of chickens basically.
0: Uh, I mean, you you've seen the, the the media of this. I mean, parents are wearing uh, green ribbons, uh, you know, as they line around the school. They're in support of the teacher. Want the teacher back in the classroom. Uh, the board that that suspended the teacher even says they're opposed to this, but it's the law. And they, you know, because of a complaint, I guess we're having to do this. It's it's a really sickening situation. Well, yeah, and, and I, I guess what it was I a,
1: do, Bill. Is how many complaints? You know, probably it's a one whole thing we're getting in, we're getting into now. You know. One, two people complain about a particular thing, and all of a sudden it's just you know it's you know it's enacted upon or discarded or whatever the measure may be and and this is crazy it's just it's gotten to the point of just being ludicrous. here we have a a teacher that the uh, parents like and support and and she wore a hijab and and you know so be it you know, who cares? This is this is what j- just drives people crazy. I think in the rest of the country, nobody cares. Just if she's there to do a job and does a good job, that's all that should matter.
0: Uh, I mean, Mr. Singh, bang on, on on with his assessment here. He says, you know, this basically this person was removed from the classroom because someone didn't w- like the way they looked. I mean, is is that going to be the standard now? Is that what we are saying? Well, we don't like it, but. It's, I, I'm, I'm sad and, and disheartened that we've, we've come to that point.
1: Well, we have. We're past that point now, Bill. Uh, you know, I, 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 I would love to do an FOI, a free information, uh, on the, the city, for example, of Hamilton, who, who said they're going. To, they're no longer going to call it a gypsy moth. And uh, I would love to know how many people actually complained about that. Not that they shouldn't change it, but I'd love to know how. And this is what's happening all the time, is that this vocal minority is, is turning things upside down. And we, you know, people have to stand back and say, you know, enough's Enough.
0: Well, I don't know who's going to do it. Uh you, you know, I mean even the premier in that province, Legault, he, he's never going to touch this thing. He's supportive of it because he's there's been some polling done that says yeah, people will agree with that. Well, you know, back in the 1950s in Alabama, they agreed that black people shouldn't be going to universities too, uh, but the, the federal government stepped in. You know, I mean that's just Yeah, exactly. No, it's I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's a, a disgusting uh, situation. It I mean, is disgusting. And I, I we're looking for leadership here from our federal leaders, and they just, uh, they don't seem to want to jump in on that, which is unfortunate. also want to talk about well, another controversial thing, too, because there's only one week left, by the way, before these guys go on their Christmas break. Uh, they said there was a whole bunch of pieces of legislation they wanted to pass. Uh, and they're not making a whole lot of progress on much of this stuff. The the conversion therapy bill uh, passed and actually got through the Senate, too, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but uh, for... a A government that, first of all, took, I thought, way too long to get back to work. November 22nd after the election, they finally showed up back in Parliament Hill again with what they said was a pretty aggressive agenda. Uh, They seem to be moving at glacial speed here with a lot of these things.
1: Well, the government can't whine about not getting its legislation through when they've decided to take six weeks off. I mean, talk about a contradiction. You know... We, you want, you're telling the public that these, these, uh, bills are essential, which I believe they are. You know, 10 days for your paid sick leave, you know, is one of them. And, and the other, you know, is financial support for people who, you know, uh, pen, you know, have been, uh, victimized, if you will, by the pandemic. But, and then take six weeks off. Well, you can't have it both ways.
0: And, and therein lies the problem, uh, it, it, because this was the re-election of a government. It's not as if they have to hit the reset button and say, "Okay, we have to find out, you know, where the washrooms are and whatever." This is—it was basically the same cast of characters on both sides of the house. So why not get back to work a week after the election and just say, "Let's get down to it." There's some important things to do here, uh, and, but now they're complaining that they're not going to get enough of this stuff done. Uh, and your point's well taken. Uh, some of this legislation is to deal with the pandemic which is still with us as a matter of fact looks like it may actually be getting worse uh, because of the increase in numbers and of course the new variant right now it would behoove the government to start moving on some of this stuff
1: well bill you know if this is the private sector and there was something essentially affecting a particular company you you, that company wouldn't take a six-week break and not deal with whatever was the issue. And this is this is what people want from the government they want them to deal with these bills deal with other bills and also deal with how we're going to handle going you know going forward with the pandemic and and we're not getting what? that we're, you no, know, I we're know. not getting that and people are you know and people are rightly saying why
0: well, especially people that are going to be needing that assistance in the next little while. We'll see. I mean, I mean you know, God forbid there should be another lockdown or some restrictions or something. But uh, again, it's going to be based on numbers and we'll see what happens. Uh, I want to pivot over to what's happened in Queen's Park in the province. A couple of things here uh, with the Ford government that I wanted to get some reaction uh, from you on, uh, Badger. One is a ruling actually just came down yesterday uh, from the Integrity Commission about a complaint that was lodged by an NDP MPP. Uh, against the premier himself, a uh, conflict of interest over the Bradford Bypass. That's that very controversial uh, highway piece uh, that's up near the Holland Marsh. Uh, and it was just, I guess, s- steeped in controversy almost from the get-go, isn't it? I know that some of the local residents there, a lot of them, as a matter of fact, are supportive of the project. Uh, because they're tired of, of you know, heavy truck going through their little towns and, and things of that nature. Uh, but there's some serious environmental issues about this. And I guess the other element to this was, uh, a, a, shall we say, a, a tweak that they made to the proposed route for this, uh, which conveniently was beneficial to uh, the father of, of uh, uh, I, I guess, one of the people that was involved in these uh, these decisions. Uh, he was, uh, I guess, the deputy minister or the parliamentary assistant, I guess, more specifically. And uh, they were concerned about that. Uh, the integrity commissioner has ruled that the the premier is in the clear on this. Uh, surprising.
1: Well, this is to think that that's just a coincidence. That they you know they've rejigged the route to go around a, a golf course that's owned by the father of uh, one of the members. You know, <laughs> I mean this this is bizarre. This the commissioner, but I see the commissioner's point. It's so hard to prove a conflict. You know, unless it's just so blatant but here we you know we you know the other conflict is to I would suggest and others have suggested the same thing is who's going to benefit from other than the people that will be able to move you know move around more easily and, and truck traffic being diverted but who's going to benefit from from that uh, from that roadway and that's developers and and who's a you know, who's a big friend of developers? Well, we all know that. You know, it's it Doug Ford and his party. But prove that. You just can't. You, you, you can't say that A equals B. You just can't do that. And in this case, it's a stretch for him not to say that there's a conflict with that golf course. But, again, it's, hard. it's a hard thing to nail down, and I think that was the commissioner's problem.
0: Well, let me ask you about some of the wording here, and I'll just pull a couple of lines out of the uh, the decision. It was a 11-page decision uh, from the Integrity Commissioner, uh, and he, he writes in part, he says, Suffice to say that the only support for this allegation, meaning the conflict of interest, uh, is an article in the Toronto Star that was published October 31st, which connects the Bradford Bypass Project to the public record of party donations by developers. And he says, "Well, media reports themselves cannot be considered as evidence. They can be used to buttress direct and credible evidence to archive the necessary, reasonable, and probable grounds for me to convince the inquiry." It, it basically, he's saying, "Well, that's just a newspaper report, uh, but it listed—you read the report. We talked about the report when it came out in the in the Star. It was it listed the donors." <laughs> It didn't just say, "Hey, we think there's some uh, some developers here who, who, you know, were involved in, and had ties to the Conservative Party." They said, "Here's the name. Here's how much they donated. Uh, here's the cabinet position or whatever position it was they had in the government." And now they're lobbying. Uh, it, it's as clear as the nose on your face that there's a connection there. But it, it seems from this wording as if the Integrity Commissioner didn't want to go down that road.
1: Yeah. I, I, again, but you know, you, you can point the fingers. I mean that star story that we, it was in combination with other uh, you know newspapers in, in the uh, uh, tr- core star change did an exhaustive study that pointed fingers directly but the commissioners saying well that's not good enough well I can I can see his point but you would have thought it would have carried more weight than it did and he, he just he's saying well he looked at you know the, 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 on the face of it, and and decided that, well, there there just isn't a conflict, and you know the government the government wins wins another one. I mean, he's he's been a, a pretty lucky premier in the last couple uh, or last week or so about winning uh, court cases or or getting favorable decisions. So uh, I don't know. It's 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 too bad that I think it wasn't the newspaper uh, article. And many other things weren't given, you know, consideration that I could see anyway before he decided that, you know, everything's just hunky-dory. Don't don't look over here, folks. There's nothing going on.
0: Well, and... To be fair, though, what uh, the integrity commissioner did say, because the allegation was brought not just against uh, the premier, uh, but against uh, against Transportation Minister Carolyn Mulroney and Associate Transport Minister uh, Stan Cho, that's uh, the individual whose dad is part owner of this golf course mm-hmm. that has now been spared from this. Uh, the commissioner said that he's issuing a separate report about those two, about Carolyn Mulroney and Associate Minister, uh, Minister Stan Cho. Now, I, I don't know what you can insinuate from that, is that maybe he figures maybe the culpability is there or not with the Premier. Uh, maybe there's something, another even stronger connection there that we don't know. I mean, we can speculate about this until the report comes out. But you've got to think, for him to separate those out and say, I want to do this one separately, would indicate... Well, let me put it this way. If he, if he thought there was no culpability there either, he probably would have included it in this report. So I, I don't know where he's going on this one. He won't mind, Bill, if I don't hold my breath, okay? Well, even if they go down that road, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Even if the if the integrity commissioner says, "Shame on you, uh, minister or associate minister," whichever, what what are the ramifications? You get a slap on the wrist, essentially.
1: Yeah, that's all. Basically, you know, it's a public shaming that you know lasts about fifteen minutes. But it it is it is a scar. But it 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 doesn't it doesn't last. Look look at the you know the conflicts that you know that the premier or the prime minister's been found in. Yeah. And you know, and what weight did they carry? And and by the time, by the time the issue comes along, when this road is built and all that stuff, no nobody will even remember about Cho and and Mulrooney being involved somehow in it.
0: Well, and, and then you wonder about, well, what's the, the, the purpose of the Integrity Commissioner in the first place? I mean, there's very little weight to what they're doing. And I'm, I'm sure these people are, are are people of character. And, and they, you know, they're trying to do their best, I guess, given the circumstances that they're in. Uh, but we've seen this even at the municipal level. I mean, Integrity Commissioners say, you know, this elected official, this staff member, whatever, uh, crossed the line. Well, you know, so what? That, that really seems you like you say, it's a newspaper headline for a couple of days. And then we all move on. What it is, Bill, and the project still gets done.
1: Yep, and uh, I mean, there there are some positives, you know, absolutely of that uh, the Bradford line. But there's, I can't help but think that there's something stinks. You know, I mean, anybody who read that Star piece and. You just can't come away from after reading that and, and and just conclude that everything is just, you know, uh, going its way and don't worry about it. It's, it, it, it was really, I thought, a very uh, detailed piece that pointed to uh, certain pitfalls and you know, brotherhood, if you will, that this, this particular government has with developers. And it is... It, it is an issue. Now, whether anybody remembers it when uh, you know the June election comes along, who knows? But there, there is concerns there. It, whether whether the com- uh, integrity commissioner thinks there is or not.
0: Well, and and you're right. I mean, you know, the election is coming up in June. We understand that. Uh, but what I found interesting about this is the report and the complaint was filed against the Bradford Bypass. Uh, and as you mentioned, it it does have some serious concerns about the impact it's going to have on the Holland Marsh. Uh, but the companion piece to that was Highway 413, which in the same week uh, the province gave a thumbs up to. We don't even know how much that's going to cost. All we know is the province says, whatever that bill is, we're going to pay it. Uh, and and that same concern about uh, developers who are very, very close to the Progressive Conservative Party, uh, you know, holding an awful lot of the land around there is in play. But nobody seems to be talking about that. In other words, the integrity commissioner hasn't even touched that. and Nobody's complained about it. I find that odd.
1: I don't know why why he isn't looking at that I don't know why somebody hasn't challenged that and said you know there's a direct link between what these guys are you know proposing and who's going to benefit you you, you know uh, a blind man could find something there and it seems to me that it's just it's, it's not it's not being ignored but it's certainly going to take someone from the opposition benches to really pound the drum on this and I don't know I haven't heard it so far but maybe it's to come
0: who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, Joe, great cup weekend. Uh, hopefully it's a victory for the Thai Cats on Sunday, but uh, I, we'll uh, talk again soon about uh, whatever is going to be happening. I guess by the time we hook up again, these guys will be all into their uh, Christmas break, so we'll have a lot of chance to kind of look back and see just what they've accomplished in the last few months. Uh, thanks so much, as always, for this, Badger.
1: Okay, Bill, just before you go, ask Jerry Diaz when he comes on, when he, when him and Doug Fent, uh, Ford became such good friends, will you? Oh,
0: well, that's first question, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Politics makes strange bedfellows. I think that's the quote, isn't it? You take it easy. Take care. Richard Brennan, of course, who covered uh, Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for so many years.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: As many of you know, there's a a fabulous show that's on global uh, every night, uh, Saturday night rather, at 7 o'clock. It's called The New Reality. Uh, And it offers insight into, well, the things that we're concerned about and some of the big stories of the day. And there's a, a very important edition of it coming up uh, tomorrow night at seven o'clock, uh, right after Global National, uh, to do with, uh, well, COVID-19 and uh, uh, an interesting phenomena that seems to be becoming more and more prevalent called long haulers. Uh, to talk about the program itself and, and what uh, we're going to be talking about and what we're going to be learning about, uh, pleased to welcome to the program, Carisha Colley, who is a journalist with Global News. Uh, Carisha, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for the time today.
3: Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: About a year or so ago, you know, when we, i guess even when we were back in the first wave of this—we'd heard a little bit about this, these, these long haulers. But I mean, there wasn't much evidence, there wasn't much of a body of, of information at that time. But here we are, almost two years into this, and there've been more than a couple of waves now. Uh, and and as, as you guys are going to report on the new reality tomorrow, uh, there's, there's growing evidence and information about about just what these people are all about and what causes this. Let's talk about that.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting, uh, in terms of, of the science. Um, there's a lot that has been learned and there's still a long way to go in terms of what doctors ne- eh, need to find out. Um, there's about, you know, experts are saying there's around a hundred different symptoms associated with long COVID. Um, and it can be anywhere from, you know, chronic fatigue, headaches, um, you know, brain fog is a really big symptom um and even some chronic long term conditions doctors are finding out that uh long covid some long haulers are getting chronic conditions like kidney disease or diabetes which you know in some cases will never go away
0: and they're relating this and they're and they're connecting the dots between this and COVID. Then I mean, you know, I, I guess initially some people say, "Well, that's interesting." All of a sudden, they have a, a kidney situation, uh, but there, the, the, the evidence seems to be pointing that could well have been caused by the COVID. Then that, that they're starting to make that connection. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I mean, doctors all over the world are studying thousands of patients, um, and and so you know, this is, they're really doing really a lot of deep dives into different records, doing different tests. I mean, in um, BC, uh, St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, they have a, a post-COVID-19 recovery clinic and they're doing a study currently looking at the patients that are going to their clinic. And in you know over the last year, they've just kept seeing more and more people um, and more than they even anticipated initially at the start of the, of the pandemic. But everything that they can do to try to find what's causing this because it, it's still a mystery, um, but also to treat these people because they are still really suffering some even a year later
0: and that's an interesting point and i know you guys are going to get into that on the program tomorrow because initially when when you know the experts started to tell us about you know they had evidence of these long haulers the the speculation was well maybe these were people with pre-existing conditions and covid just made things worse uh they weren't sure uh, is is there any indication that that may be the case or i guess the overriding question i get in this situation crecia is how come some people get this and some people don't
3: and that's uh, and that's the question that everybody is still trying to figure out. It the thing about long covid, it varies from person to person. Some people will maybe get better within 6 months. Some people are a year into it and they're still not better. So, you know, nobody really knows why it's happening and why somebody will get better within months and not within a year. So, I think that's a really good question and and, and we have to remember while us as individuals feel the pandemic has gone for on and on and on. (laughs) And everybody wants it to be over. I mean, for science and research, this is still so new being almost two years in is still uh, new to figure out any kind of condition.
0: And that's interesting. and I'm sure you guys found this out as you were researching this, Krisha. I certainly have been talking to the epidemiologists and so many other people over the last well, almost 22 months, I guess now, mm-hmm. because a lot of the time our discussion is focusing on, oh, the vaccine and this and that and, and you know, the things to try to, to curb this. And that's important work, as we know. But there is lots and lots of work going on in in laboratories all over the world, I guess, uh, that say we still don't quite know what this is. We know it's a a coronavirus, but what it does, how it starts, how it it mutates, and how it uh, impacts the body, this is still uh, a work in progress for the experts, isn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of different working theories. You know, we spoke with one um, neuroscientist who oversees a neuro COVID-19 clinic in Chicago. He's part of Northwestern Medicine. Um, And he has one of his theories is that long COVID could be a form of autoimmune disease. And an autoimmune disease is where the immune system, you know, starts to attack its own body by mistake Um, And autoimmune diseases seem to be more prevalent in women. Um, And so even though at this point there's no concrete evidence that long COVID affects more women than men, that is certainly one of the, you know, hypotheses being investigated currently.
0: Uh, and that's a fascinating one too, because uh, well, our, our listeners know our, our family's done a lot of work with the Scleroderma Society here in, in Ontario and in Canada, and, and so we're well familiar with autoimmune diseases and the impact they can have on their body. And it's uh, it, it's rather frightening to think that that could be an an end result or of 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 COVID, uh, which is somewhat problematic. Uh, as, as they're going through the research on this uh, and you're talking about some of these symptoms, it, it, it's how difficult has it been for the experts, Krishi, to actually make some determinations about this. As you say, the the, the list of, of symptoms, that you can experience from COVID is so long right now. It's not as if, Oh, you get a runny nose and a cough and that's it. If you don't have that, you probably don't have it. There there can be so many ways in which it manifests itself right now. It's pretty hard. I would think for them to nail down exactly what's being uh, happening in the body and and what is causing it and how long it's going to last.
3: Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why a lot of these, a lot of doctors and researchers are at this point treating individual symptoms and conditions as opposed to like long COVID as a whole, because they don't, as I said earlier, they don't know what's really causing long COVID. So they can only treat individual sort of symptoms. And, um, you know, we need more clinics and more research to be done, not just in Canada, but worldwide so that these patients who a lot of some of whom we talked to can't work anymore because of this condition, you know, this is going to be a long lasting impact on not just the healthcare system, but like society as a whole for a a long time to come.
0: I I heard a little snippet uh, from uh, Robin Gill uh, uh, on on global news about this the other day too. And uh, I I guess it's like a lot of other uh, conditions that are impacting us right now. Uh, As as, uh, amazing as the numbers are, as you guys are going to talk about on the program tomorrow night, Khrushchev, there could be a lot of people walking around that are suffering as long haulers that don't even realize it and just figure, well, I just got this cold or this flu-like symptom or something like that. I mean, it, because it can manifest itself in different ways. It doesn't necessarily, you know, knock you onto your back. It may just be something that's going to be uh, bothersome to you for quite some time, but it could well be a long hauler.
3: Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I, and, and, and the numbers are still coming out in how many people are affected. You know, the public health agency says about 60% Uh, of those who were diagnosed with COVID reported one or more symptoms, you know, 12 weeks or more after the initial infection. So if you really do the math, it does add, you know, it really does eventually add up.
0: And it's an ongoing concern, and as we mentioned, researchers are, are, are trying to determine, first of all, what we're dealing with, why this happens to some people and not to others, and uh, I, I guess the gist of this right now is that there's no simple answer to this. They can't really just say, hey, these group of people, this group of people here may be more prone to that. They're not even at that point yet, are they?
3: I mean, they are, you know, there is definitely an acknowledgement that the post-COVID syndrome or post-COVID condition exists, um, Yeah. It's just. How how prevalent it is uh, is, you know, the exact numbers of how many people are, are still still uncertain. But I think we have to know that there are a lot of people, particularly in Canada and worldwide, who are suffering from this, and they really need the resources and help um, to get better. Um, you know, there are definitely people who have it a year after, and who knows if we check back in a year from now, they'll likely still have it. Hopefully well, not, for people that have got awesome.
0: some... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, if you think it's it's happening in your family or with one of your loved ones, uh, watch the program tomorrow night. It's uh, it's on 7 o'clock right after Global National on Global uh, TV. Uh, it's called The New Reality, and it's going to delve into the, the long haulers and the phenomena that uh, that uh, we're dealing with and the experts are dealing with. Uh, Krisha, pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for this. Uh, enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll talk again down the road.
3: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Take care.
0: Take care, Krisha Holly, your journalist with Global News, involved in uh, the production for the new reality tomorrow night, seven o'clock on Global. Uh, this is the Bill Kelly Show, nine eighty CFPL London, nine hundred CHML, Hamilton. Interesting news uh, out of Queens Park uh, yesterday that uh, Jerry Dias is going to be uh, well working on behalf of the Ford government on uh, what they're calling an auto task force. Now we all know some of the circumstances surrounding this, uh, the protectionist policies south of the border, and the impact it could have on the auto industry. Uh, to talk about the work ahead. Ah, uh, Jerry Dice, uh, the Uniform National President, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Jerry, great to have you back on the program. Hope you're doing well these days.
4: I'm um, hanging in there, Bill. It's always my pleasure.
0: <laughs> That's yeah, about all we can do these days. Uh, you've heard some of the criticism, and I saw some of your reaction to this on some of the social media things. Uh, I mean, a year ago, if somebody said, "Yeah, you know, Jerry Dice and Doug Ford are going to be ha- together on the same podium, working together, and in compliance with what's going to be happening," they said, "Come on, never going to happen." Because uh, you, as as you've been quite candid about. You've had your differences with Doug Ford uh, over the the, the time that he's been premier of this province. Why this partnership and why this collaboration? And and, and how did this happen? Look,
4: there's times where you have to put politics aside and roll up your sleeves and get things done. Uh, We've got a huge problem in those problems. Uh, And there's no question it's tied into the Buy America strategy, the Biden administration If they proceed uh, south of the border uh, without any sort of reaction from Ontario or Canada, for that matter, then there's a lot of jobs that are going to be leaving this province. And I have a lot of skin in this game. Um, We have a lot of members in the auto industry, the auto parts industry, the softwood lumber where we're having to fight with the U.S. Uh, The aluminum industry always seems to be up in arms with the U.S. So, look, the bottom line is we need to we need to get the attention of the Biden administration. And so it doesn't matter to me which party is in power politically. Um, This is about fighting to preserve jobs and great jobs that I'm in.
0: And we should, by the way, mention uh, to try to blunt any criticism people might have, this is a non-paying job. You're just doing this because it's something that needs to be done. Uh, So you're not going to be on the payroll. The other element to this, too, because we've talked. We've, we've speculated about this ever since the Buy America policy uh, was not just initiated. Because I know that the Americans have been talking about this for quite some time, Jerry, as you know. Uh, but when when the, the Biden administration reiterated this, and uh, you know, with the, some of the financial policies they released, some people said, "Oh my, that, that's 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 going to be problematic uh, for the Ontario auto industry." It would be devastating if they went ahead with this. Not just problematic, wouldn't it? No, well, there's no question.
4: I mean, it's fatal. Uh, you can't be saying to American consumers where, of course, we ship the bulk of our vehicles. For us, it's about a $70 billion a year export industry. Um, so if, if, if the Biden administration is strictly going to reward American consumers for buying American-built cars, uh, then look, when you start talking about $16,500, uh, that's a big sticker price uh, to, to take out the price of an EV. It will be fatal. So our government will have to match it, like, quite likely dollar for dollar. Uh, but the bottom line is we need to have a straight carve-out here for Canada because of how intertwined uh, the auto industry is on both sides of the border. You can't buy a Canadian-built vehicle um, on you know, unless <laughs> but you're talking about 85% of the parts that go into a Canadian-assembled vehicle come from the U.S. So what the U.S. is doing is negatively impacting uh, the U.S. auto parts industry. So, so, look, they're just too intertwined. You can't just carve it out. It's just not that simple. And people are making the argument we're, we're, we're going to have to make it much stronger. And the other side of this is you can't just cherry-pick one. you have to have a relationship. Um, ultimately, if they're going to proceed with battery manufacturing, you're going to need nickel, cobalt, you're going to need magnesium, you're going to need aluminum, you're going to need all the raw materials that Canada has, and they have very little of. Um, so you can't just cherry pick and say, okay, we'll take your raw materials, but now we're going to slam your industry. doesn't work that way.
0: Jerry, do you get a sense of deja vu? I mean, especially with the Biden administration, because you went through the same hassle with the Obama administration, after the uh, the oh eight oh nine recession, uh, and the protectionist policies were being flaunted by an awful lot of the, the state legislatures and some people in Congress, and, and you came to an understanding that look at supply chain, you know, even a car that is quote unquote produced in America has probably spent some time in Canada uh, for some of the work, and they they go back and forth to the border a number of times. Like, how many times do you have to remind these people of this before the message sinks in?
4: Well, you know, it's 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 a real simple mindset. Um, when you're thinking about, you know, uh, how, the, you know, it's it's a simple argument that somehow the industries aren't intertwined. So you're right. We dealt with it under Obama. Uh, then we dealt with it under Trump. Uh, I was had a front row seat during the renegotiation of NAFTA where they were talking at one time about any goods sold in the United States. Uh, 50% had to be 50% U.S. content. So they have yeah. been dealing with this for years and years and years. And you can't just deal with it through the conventional World Trade Organization's dispute mechanisms because it takes forever. So decisions will be made uh, on the Canada auto industry very shortly because you make decisions for five years down the road. So that's why we need to get the Biden's administration's attention right now. I know, frankly, that there's... You know, there's not a heck of a lot of support um, amongst this because within the automakers, because they understand, um, you know, that, that you just can't the, the, the border doesn't exist as it relates to the auto industry. Everybody wants the incentive, of course, but they don't want the economic harm that it's going to cause their their individual industries. There's been a lot of investments on both sides of the border uh, that could be put at risk.
0: Well, and a lot of announcements, too, and we've heard from all of them, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the Detroit Big Three and, and others uh, that have, have made huge commitments to, to the auto industry here in Ontario. And, of course, to battery production. Uh, and, and as yeah. the Premier mentioned, I mean, you know, that, that makes the, the future very promising. Uh, this could really scuttle an awful lot of those plans. Uh, Jer, I wish you best luck. I assume you're hitting the ground running on this. Uh, I want to stay in touch with you over the next couple of weeks and months, of course, because as you mentioned, uh, the the clock is ticking. There's a time sensitivity to this, and you've got to get some response and and some results on this pretty quickly, don't you?
4: Uh, Absolutely. There's no time to waste, that's for sure.
0: Jerry, thanks again for this, and uh, we'll uh, talk again down the road about this. I appreciate the time today.
4: All right, you have a great day. Take care, Bill.
0: Thank you. You too, Jerry Dias, of course, Unifor national president, uh, who's going to be uh, heading this task force. And and again, as he mentioned, uh, there's there's no salary involved in this or anything. Uh, He's just, you know, got the best interests of the auto industry, especially here in Ontario, uh, at heart. And uh, these are going to be very, very important decisions and discussions over the next little while about the impact this could have in Ontario. And of course, you know what it's like. If the auto industry is negatively impacted in Ontario, you know how many companion industries are going to be negatively impacted as well. So uh, we wish them the best of luck to try to get some results on this. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to switch back to Queen's Park, if I could, for just a couple of minutes, because it looks like there could be some changes to the uh, protocol uh, for COVID-19 here in the province of Ontario. As uh, Matthew Dingley reported on Global News uh, last night, uh, it looks as if uh, the Premier is reconsidering, especially when it comes to changes uh, in the proof of vaccination. Uh, Matthew Dingley, reporter for Global News at Queen's Park, joins us to talk about this. Matthew, great to have you with us on the program. Thanks for the time today. Good to be with you. There was some talk about this just a, a little while ago because uh, I, I guess it didn't take too long after they put this whole program into effect. I know Christine Elliott and a few others, as you guys were reporting, Matthew, were suggesting there was some concern about about counterfeit uh, proofs of vaccination. So and this probably doesn't come as a surprise, but uh, it's kind of interesting the way that they're responding to this.
2: Well, it, it's interesting for a number of ways because this has been something that has been raised about the issue Uh, of vaccine certificates from the get-go when we first started off with the paper receipts, people were were warning that they were easy to forge from that point and and they were showing that you could easily do it using the most basic of skills and despite all of that uh, even when they moved to the QR code system they were still allowing these original vaccine uh, uh, certificates, the receipt that you got when, when you got your second vaccine, uh, they were still fine with those going forward. And uh, a number of arguments that they put forward for keeping those in place, mostly around accessibility, a lot of concern about seniors and uh, whether they'd have printing access uh, or, or even a, a cell phone to use. But But many people were pointing out, you know, if you could print off that original receipt. Why couldn't you print off a QR code? And it seems that uh, now has <laughs> that the time has actually come that they've, they've seen the light and realized that it is more of a problem.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's what you guys were talking about at the time. They said, you know, that uh, well, not everybody has a cell phone. This is really only fair, and that seemed logical at the time. But I guess they're getting a lot more uh, anecdotal stories anyway about about counterfeit uh, papers being prohibited. Any idea as to when this is going to go into effect? Because you remember when they even announced this program when Christine Elliott announced this some months ago. Uh, one of the criticisms then is, well, this has taken way too long. This this could happen next week, and there was about a, what a six week grace period or something. Are they going to attempt to do something? Something like that again? Do you have any information on that?
2: the The timing I've had from some government sources is that it's it's to be determined that they'll they'll move to the QR code alone system. and And you're right; it, it probably is based around just trying to make sure that that people who perhaps don't have a phone, don't have the QR code printed off, that that they could uh just do so uh you know but many public health units have been willing to either mail it to people or or even uh libraries have been uh, opening themselves up to hey you can come here and print it off so uh the the real question is the urgency around this but but remember these are Many, many locations that people uh, could be potentially left out on. And the last thing that the government wants to do is uh, make it seem like there really is a two-tier society here.
0: Well, and you connected the dots on this with your reporting, and I want to just remind our listeners about this, too, because uh, initially when some of these stories about the the counterfeit-proof vaccination stuff was out there, uh, there was almost a dismissive approach by some of the folks at Queen's Park saying, well, look, it's only going to be in effect till the middle of January anyway, so what's the big deal? Uh, But that's kind of the companion story to this, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) That January 17th uh, deadline, which they always said was arbitrary, it's probably out the window by now, isn't it?
2: Well, it, 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 it always sort of made people uh, – I was in the room when the premier uh, launched this, this reopening plan, and the, the dates that they had put on made people's eyebrows go up right away because it was January 17th where they were announcing yeah. that, uh, again, in the absence of all these bad trends, that, that, that they would begin to start lifting the vaccine certificates in, in restaurants and bars and gyms. And, and then going on to, to march it along further with uh, February 7th, it was going to be nightclubs. And then almost all of them uh, lifting on March 28th. And, and on that same date, the premier was saying that, uh, that they were looking at possibly lifting masking guidelines as well. And, and at the time, people asking questions, myself included, included, saying, you know, winter is the time where we see this uh, becoming the worst. Uh, what is it about the, uh, the situation that makes you think that, that, that it's going to be able to uh, actually happen? And, and even as early as this week, it was, well, we're going to wait and see uh, when January 17th comes and then we will make a decision then. And, and now, according to sources, uh, that, that date does look like it's really gone out the door.
0: Uh, and and the background on all this, of course, is, is the you know the number of new cases rising. I think the number we got today is about fourteen hundred, which is even up again from yesterday. I know the, the cabinet met, uh, and uh, there's going to be, I, I guess, a presser later on today, uh, which I'm sure you'll be attending and reporting on on Global News at uh, five thirty and six, Matthew. But there's a lot of speculation about what the premier is going to announce today. There, I mean, there was one rumor that that somebody uh, was was even recommending that maybe they go back to some of these restrictions, not necessarily a lockdown. But some of these restrictions, uh, crowd size in restaurants and things of this nature, uh, do you have any sense at all from your sources at, at Queen's Park as to where they're going to go? Are they, I know they're getting a little nervous about these rising numbers.
2: It, it, yeah, well, the, the, the indicator that we keep seeing is is really the lagging one, which is the ICU numbers. And just looking at those, obviously the daily cases going up, but ICU numbers today are about 155, and that's that's been around the same spot where they've been, but they... they are obviously seeing the modeling coming out earlier on in the week that says that we could be seeing between 200 and 400 cases in the ICU by the end of January. So that is the major concern. But as those restrictions go, uh, you know, the, the uh, earlier this morning we heard that Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health, was going to be added to the mix. Whether they go for a, a widespread approach to restrictions, it's hard to say at this point because uh, up until this point they have been very much in favor both the premier the, the the chief medical officer of health have been in favor of restrictions on a more regional basis and and the science table uh, that has been advising them on a lot of this the uh, on a voluntary basis i should add they are less in favor of provincial restrictions too so they have been recommending more for doing vaccines and, and getting them up in five to 11 year olds and even getting boosters out there. Uh, but but whether they uh, but they're less in favor of these harder restrictions. But I, I should point out that they, we have seen more regional uh, approaches uh, increasing when it comes to restrictions. Obviously, Windsor Essex uh, increasing those uh, those uh, social gathering restrictions mm-hmm. as of today. And so far, uh, three other units uh, in, in the London area also just recommending at this point to limiting social gatherings, especially with the holidays coming up
0: yeah that's interesting dr peter uni was on the program yesterday from the health table and pretty much reiterated that and about the regionality of these things but it's it's an interesting twist though that you just mentioned though matthew that uh that Christine is going to be involved in this uh what does your spidey sense tell you here that, that there's going to be some talk about regional restrictions there and they're going to talk not just about those areas but maybe about the possibility of this because uh dr uni was uh expressing on our program yesterday he was concerned about a, a spike right after christmas you know because people are going to get together not Withstanding what they're telling us to do and everything, and uh, they want to be proactive as opposed to reactive, and I'm assuming that's probably the message he gave to the premier too.
2: My well, you talked about the spidey sense. I mine always goes up whenever they do add a cabinet minister to this. So obviously, with with uh-huh. Christine Elliott joining in, uh, it, it made me really wonder. But I have, I have a sense that it will will probably hear more in the sense of here's our best practices that we're we're recommending, and if the case grow uh, cases grow that we we might have to increase it more i i think the fact that stephen Lecce, the minister of education uh wasn't joining suddenly i think that probably was the the thing that gave parents a lot more of a sense of ease this morning that that they didn't have to worry about any school restrictions being added to this but you, you know <laughs> it's friday the legislature just sat yesterday and and we've we've been on this roller coaster ride all week of of will they won't they and uh hey, at this point, I'd probably just be speculating on, on where we go from here.
0: Yeah, but you, you guys, uh, you know, the old idea, what? Well, it's Friday afternoon, the legislation not sitting. This is probably just being through the motions. Uh, they've dropped some bombshells on Friday afternoon before. That's, that, and and it, it, you almost come to expect, like, you just don't know what they're going to be saying in situations like this. Because, you know, Politics 101 says, if it's going to be bad news, let's do it Friday at 3 o'clock. Because, uh, you know, everybody's not paying as close attention to it as they should. Uh, so you're, you're, I guess, on your guard right now because you really don't know where they're going on this.
2: Well, you, you Friday, Friday afternoons, we've seen. We've also seen news releases come out at five o'clock on uh, uh, the Thanksgiving weekend, Friday. So, so you're not wrong there. But uh, where we have the advantage on this side is that uh, not only are we allowed in the room with uh, all, all the uh, the media to ask questions about this, but we do have not only the, uh, the the province's top doctor but also the uh, the minister in charge of the health files that that we can ask a lot of questions about how they've come to this decision and and how they intend to defend some of their past uh, past answers
0: well, it's it's going to be an interesting session, I guess, this afternoon, simply because of the uh, the uh, the speculation about what could be happening and Christie and Elliot being added to this. Uh, as you say, it may just be a reiteration of what we should be doing and masking and things of this nature. Uh, not surprised though that that, that Minister is not involved in this because he's. I, I guess they kind of look at that, don't they, Matthew, and say, "Well, he's already done his part." You know, the the testing kits are being distributed. Kids are going to take those home over Christmas break. Uh, probably no news as far as that's concerned, and uh, and uh, they're more concerned. I would think, as you just mentioned, about some of the regional kind of pop-ups that they're they're looking at now.
2: Well, you know, uh, the, the, there was one answer that uh, Dr. Karen Moore, the uh, chief medical officer of health, had uh, earlier on in the week because he did speak on Tuesday, uh, and and he was asked about you know these kids are going home. Uh, are you looking at this as a bit of a circuit breaker for for the school? And and he said, you know, it, it could be looked at that because it is a, a couple weeks off. But one of the other issues is obviously kids socializing more uh, outside Uh of school. And and the number one thing that we keep hearing from both him and from even the uh, uh, Dr. Uni is that they are safest in schools and they don't want to see schools closed down again. So uh, that that really is the the protected all costs thing here for the government. So I, I would say that as as far as the messaging uh, from the uh, the Minister of Education this week in question period, uh, they have put those, uh, they are sending those test kits home, and they seem to be quite satisfied with the job they're doing there.
0: Well, we'll be watching, as always, uh, Global News of 530 and 6 to see uh, just exactly what the Premier's got to say, and we'll be uh, looking forward to your reporting on this. Matthew, as always, thanks so much for this. Great having you on the program today. My pleasure. Take care. Matthew Bingley reporting uh, with uh, Global News, of course, at Queen's Park, and he will be there uh, for the presser later on when the premier makes uh, whatever announcement it is uh, to do with the new COVID protocol. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML.